let's celebrate being at church together today. Welcome, everybody. Church Online, we love you. We're thankful for you as well. And uh, Alaska got some sunshine, y'all. Like, finally, finally some summer hit. If you're watching from somewhere else, you have no idea what a little vitamin D does for us in Alaska. But we're feeling good. We're feeling good. We got some sunshine. And uh, man, if you're new today, we're so glad that you're with us. My name is Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at ACF, and uh, you came on a great week. We're in a series called Counterculture, working through the entire book of Mark this summer. And we're encouraging you to read along every single week. We're in chapter 6 this week. And and if you haven't watched the other episodes of this series, I encourage you to go back and watch those and catch up with where we're at here today. It's all coming together to tell a story about what it means to be part of a kingdom culture. And Jesus, he he preached this sermon over and over again. It was uh, basically the same sermon in different ways. He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. There's actually good news worth believing in in a world of bad news. And there is good news. And Jesus is the good news. And and what he introduces is this different countercultural way of living. And if we are going to be part of a kingdom culture... It means that we're going to be living in opposition to the culture that exists today. It's going to be a countercultural way of living. So that's the lens that we're looking at the book of Mark through. So if, if you have a Bible, open up to chapter 6 of the book of Mark here today. And we'll start off in verse 7. It says this. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So I remember the first time I caught my little boy eating dirt. Um, any parents in the room ever caught their children eating dirt? A few hands in the room. Yeah, it, it was super cute. I'll, t- I'll be honest. Like, we were out camping, and we're just sitting in the chairs, and I see him, he's down there, and he's just playing in the dirt, and all of a sudden he's just taking handfuls of dirt, and he's filling his mouth with dirt. And so what do we do? Like any good parent, we grab a camera, right? We're going to grab our phone and take a picture of this amazing moment. His face is covered. And we're like, look, he's so cute. Just little boys eating dirt. It, it's just kind of part of the jam as, as, as raising little boys goes. Now, that's cute, but let me just paint you a different picture. Let's say you and I are out camping, right? We're out in the woods. We're sitting in the chairs, having a normal conversation. All of a sudden, I get on my knees, and I just start feeding myself piles of dirt, right? What would your reaction be? You'd probably grab your phone, but not to take a picture, to call Providence Mental Health Unit and say, hey, we've got one for you. We need to check this guy in, right? There's something wrong with this grown man eating dirt. Same situation, two different ages. And here's what I want to start off with is this, is that when little boys act like little boys, it's cute. When grown men act like little boys, it's actually concerning, Right? It concerns us. We're like, there's something wrong here. And as I read through this text this week, uh, what I really felt like I was laying on my heart and what, what I saw, I just couldn't help but, but see this, was that there really is a higher calling that God has for men. Like there's a higher calling than what we experience and exist and even accept for ourselves. So I've, I've entitled today's message, A Higher Calling 
for men. Because I, I will tell you, I believe there's some unhealthy mindsets um, in the lives of men today. I, I see these all the time. I, I hear these type of mindsets come out in what people say. Uh, I thought about th- this one. I'm called to be a man, which means I'm called to do it alone. See, a lot of men feel this sort of individualistic way of seeing their lives. Uh, our friend Jeff Bramstead, he's a, he's a Navy SEAL, and he says this all the time. He says, two is one and one is none. And I like that. Two is one and one is none. In other words, we need people with us. Um, if we're alone, we're susceptible to be taken out of the fight. This is another mindset. If I can't do something, I'm weak. I think we as men have a hard time admitting, like, I just can't do it. Uh, we will beat our heads against the wall before we will ever ask for help, right? That's just kind of a mindset. This is one that I see a lot. Me and my family are all that matters. Now, most men wouldn't say that, but if you look at the way we lived our lives, we tend to think as long as my household is in order, I'm okay. I'm really just doing what I'm here to do. This is one I see that's a real concerning one is uh, I'm not a man yet. A lot of men would say they're not men yet. Uh, the term I think of that has been co- become really popular over the last 15, 20 years is, is the term extended adolescence. And even the word adolescence is a term that we've actually uh, created to talk about the time between boyhood and adulthood for men, right? Like, oh, he's just in the adolescence stage. And for a long time, adolescence referred to like a teenager, right? And then before we knew it, adolescence was all the way up to being like 20 years old. And then right now, it's understood among psychologists that you are an adolescent all the way up to 25 years old. So you're still not, I'm convinced in 10 years, you'll be an adolescent when you're 40, right? Oh, he's just growing up, right? He's just a 40-year-old boy. He's in adolescent stage. Like, give him time. He'll grow up, right? And this is not helping the men in our world. Uh, This one isn't spoken, but I I see this a lot in the way that men live. Uh, I want to feel powerful. Men want to feel, like, come on, uh, we drive big trucks for a reason, don't we, right? Like, give me the loud exhaust, give me the big tires. We want to feel powerful. A lot of men today feel undervalued and powerless. And, and I, I want to start by saying this. I, I really believe that it's difficult to be a man in 2023. I, I think it's a hard time to be a man. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm speaking specifically to men, so I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer, right, for you ladies in the room, because you're like, hey, well, what's going on here? Um, first, here's the first point, is that today may not be specifically about you, but today is absolutely for you as ladies. Uh, we want strong, healthy men, right? We want men who are living out the lives that Christ has called them to live. So ladies, don't zone out, okay? So don't zone out. Uh, I'll tell you this, if you're married, Ladies, this is going to be how you can encourage your man, okay? So as we talk, it's going to help you out. If you're single, okay, ladies, single ladies, this is how you're going to choose a man, okay? I'm going to give you some, some help. Like these are the things that you're looking for in the life of a man that you choose, right? Um, also, this is so important, ladies, daughters in the room, uh, this is a no poking zone. This is a no elbowing zone. This is a uh, don't be texting sermon clips to uh, a man in your life. He don't need that today. Just be an encourager, uh, but just be careful with the way that you receive and even amen this sermon. Be aware of how you amen this sermon because I promise you the men in your life are absolutely Listening, and I also have to acknowledge this: that as we talk about being a man for a few minutes, um, I want to acknowledge that it's not really politically correct to call men to be men in our society. 
Um, but, but listen, like we're not about choosing to be politically correct in the room. If we're going to live a counterculture, that means that we're going to live counter to what is politically correct. Um, because I, I believe this, and, and I believe many of you do, that God has created man and woman, and they are beautifully different. It's not just biologically, it's also biblically that God has created men and women. And anytime we minimize the difference between men and women, we actually reduce the beauty of God's glory placed on both men and women in the world today. And so we want to we elevate the value of manhood and womanhood in this world. We're specifically talking about uh, being a man. And I'll tell you, I know that uh, maybe the ladies are like, when's the woman's sermon? I don't know, but I'm talking to the men today. Uh, it's, it, I understand the breed, and uh, I just tend to speak uh, to the men. Uh, and I will tell you, this is so important, all of this, specifically speaking to men. I, I got on ChatGPT this week. Anybody ever been on ChatGPT? Okay, a few, so ChatGPT, um, little AI, and I just asked ChatGPT, tell me the differences between men and women. And what it answered was this, and I quote, differences between men and women are merely cultural. So tell me there's not an agenda behind everything that's going on in the world today. I believe, once again, that God has something unique to speak to the men in the room here today. And so I think it's good for all of us that we focus in for a moment and look at this text through the lens of what does it mean to be a godly man in our culture. And so some context for Mark chapter 6. At this point, the disciples haven't done a whole lot, okay? The disciples have been merely observing what Jesus is doing. They've been observing the miracles, observing the movement. And I believe that God is calling men not to be observers, but participants in the movement of God today. And I think we see that, that God is going to, in this moment, Jesus is going to call these men out into something greater. This is the choosing of the 12 disciples. He's going to call them into this, this certain kind of lifestyle. So we know that Jesus chooses 12 men specifically And all of these 12 men, listen to this, all of them are between the ages of 13 and 19, except for probably Peter. Peter might have been 20 or so, but all of them are are under the age of 20. This is who Jesus chooses to establish the movement of his church. So you just can't help but say, hey, listen, uh, 13 to 20-year-olds, we need you, right? Like we need you to engage with what God has called you to do. It's just wild that This is what Jesus does. He says, I want to start the movement of my church. I want to perform miracles. I want to gather an army together to begin a global movement that we still experience today. And I want to choose a bunch of 13 to 20-year-olds to do it. Now, I just can't help but ask the question, what do we expect of 13 to 20-year-olds today, right? Like, what is, what's the difference in expectation, right? Go to school, do some chores, play some video games, and sleep a lot. You know, if you're doing that, we're like, ah, that's about part of the course. These guys are out starting the movement of the global church. And we're like, man, as long as you're just playing some Call of Duty and you go to school and do your homework, like we're fine. We're fine with that. And a hundred years ago, again, like things were different, right? If you're 13 years old, you're running the family farm. Like things have changed so much in our society and we have lowered the level of expectation for men around us. So, I mean, then let's go beyond that. What do we expect out of men that are 20 to 80 years old plus, right? Like, what should that stage of life look like? Well, build a career, build a retirement, play some golf, have a midlife crisis, travel a lot, and leave a little bit of an inheritance to us, right? 
And, and that's kind of the expectation that we have. And I will tell you, this is so important that we understand this, is that we tend to rise to the level of other people's expectations. This is why I believe that we need a higher calling for men is because we rise to the level of expectation. And I believe that in our society today, men are just hungry for a higher calling. They're, they're hungry for a higher calling because societally right now, we are actually expecting very little out of men. And not just very little, we're expecting negative things out of men in general. Uh, we, we live in this culture that says men are just toxic, sexually abusive, power hungry, lazy, and immature. So should we be alarmed when that's exactly what we see in our society? When that's exactly what we expect? And so if you're like, Brian, I think you're making stuff up. Like it's men and women, it's hard for all of us. It's all the same. I'll just give you the statistics and you can argue with them. So suicide, men account for a significant majority of suicide deaths globally right now with approximately 75% of all suicides being men. This is a problem. Men currently have higher rates of alcohol and drug abuse compared to women. Although rates of mental health disorders are similar between men and women, men are less likely to seek help or talk about their emotions due to societal expectations of masculinity. So this is a problem as well. Uh, this is huge. Men are statistically more likely to be involved in, involved in acts of violence, including domestic violence, assault, and homicide. So again, the stats are just very clear. Men in 2023 are not doing well. They're not doing well. And there is a higher calling, a better calling that I believe God has for men. David Kinneman, who's the uh, president of Barna Research, if you've ever seen some of their stats online, uh, he says this, whether we're talking about the powerful allure of video games in entertainment, the harmful forces of toxic masculinity, major disruptions to finding a vocation and work, questions of sex and sexuality, including queries into the nature of gender identity itself, the ph phenomenon of digital access porn, the paucity of good role models for young men, or so much more, the obstacles seem stacked against young men. So again, I believe there's a higher calling that God has for men. And I believe that we see it in this text, and that Jesus wants something. Jesus was the perfect man. And he gives us a way to live, and it's different than what people may use to define what it means to be a man in our society. And th this is why this discussion matters to everyone. This is why this is such an important conversation for everyone in the room. I heard a pastor say this once, and I, I just can't get it out of my head, is that when men fulfill their purpose, everyone benefits. But when men reject their purpose, everyone pays. Everyone pays for it. Even within the church. I, I was reading a, a Lifeway research uh, study this week that was talking about the, the odds of the, our children ending up in the church, growing up to be parts of uh, faith communities. And the statistic said this, it said no matter how engaged with the spiritual development a mother is, and she can be very engaged, no matter how engaged she is, if the father is not a regular church attender, only one in 50 kids will grow up as, as an adult and be going to church. One in 50. So I look at our church, if I, on a day like this, you know, if we have 300 plus kids downstairs, that's like, what, six of them end up going to church when they become adults. Can we say there's a problem there? Conversely, I forgot to share this in the last service, but conversely, that stat goes up to 37 out of 50 if the father is actually engaged with the local church. So we have to go, okay, there's something unique that's wrong and something unique that God is, I think, inviting us into when it comes to being a man in the world today. Once again, what do people expect out of men? 
What do people expect out of men? And why did Jesus choose 12 men? He could have chosen 12 older men or, or men and women. Like, why did he choose these 12? And I think there's a lot of different ideas that people have about that. People have been arguing about that for generations. But here's what I thought. I thought, what if Jesus started by choosing 12 men to build his church because he knew in 2023 all people, especially men of ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska, would need a vision for something greater for their lives? What if Jesus knew, like, I'm going to need to establish what it looks like to be a godly man right from the beginning of the church? Because I know, I know years later, it's really going to be a struggle as it is today. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you four different things that I see in this text that I believe God is calling every man in the room to do. I'm going to give them to you right now. Uh, The first is deep friendships. The second is to experience godly authority. The third is to live with open hands. And the fourth is to experience responsibility in their calling. So Mark 6, 7, just kind of go back to the text. It says this. He says he sends them out two by two. So you notice from the beginning that that Jesus doesn't send out the disciples alone. He knows that these men need another man next to them. And and, and this two-by-two mindset often comes up in marriages. If you've ever seen like a wedding you know that oftentimes one of the verses that's talked about is, you know, that two are better than one, right? Two, and, and that's certainly true in marriage, but it's also absolutely true for us as men. So the first thing is this. I believe that men are meant to live in deep friendships with other men. You men are, are meant to live in deep friendships with other men. Now, I know that some of you go, well, um, I married my best friend. And I think that's awesome. I'm so glad that you married somebody that is your best friend. I, my wife, I could call her one of my best friends, right? I have a deep relationship, obviously, with my wife. But I also have other friends that are men. And it's so key that we have both if you're married. And if you're not married, again, maybe you're, you're more, uh, have some male friendships. But there just tends to be, for men, we get married, we build a family, and we can kind of forsake some of those male friendships. And it is so important that we have those in our lives. Uh, I just think there, even there are things that we should process with other men before we process them with our wives. Uh, and that's, that's absolutely okay. So here's an instance. Let's say that tonight you're laying in bed next to your wife. And you're both on Facebook, because that's what everybody does in 2023. You're scrolling, you know, before bed, right? And you notice that, like, Susie from high school lost some weight, and she's looking pretty good, right? You're like, oh, man, oh, she's, she's looking great. Now, you have options. You can just tell your wife that and say, hey, would you help me process this, honey? I'm feeling attracted to somebody I used to date in high school. Or you could uh, call a friend of yours and say, hey, buddy, um, I just had this, this random thought. I don't know where it came from. I, man, I, I, don't want, I don't want that in my life. I don't want that in my mind. Would you pray for me? Would you encourage me? Now, those could go very different directions. I'm just going to encourage you to call your bro first, okay? Now, I'm not saying don't talk with your wife, but I'm just saying, like, it's okay to process first. You ladies probably have ladies that you should talk with first before you go to your husband about certain things, and that's absolutely Okay, men are meant to live in deep friendships with one another. Now, for the men in the room, I want to challenge you on this. Um, if you're like, yeah, bro, tell her. <laughs> I need more man time. Um, let, me, let me tell you this. Our wives and families know when we're using our friendships to run from our families. If you're using your friendships to run from your families, it's no wonder that they don't encourage you to go out with your friends. Okay? So they can tell when that's the mindset. You're calling it fellowship. You're actually running away 
Like, honey, I need some more golf fellowship. She's like, no, you need to change some diapers. It's been golf fellowship for the last two weeks, and you need to stay home. And that's okay, right? But ladies in the room, I promise you, his deep male friendships will benefit your family. And they will help you with your, with your children. And, and so, like, to encourage him to build those deep friendships is a good thing for your home. And so, if you're a man in the room and you're like, I don't know how to do that, Brian. I know how. Here's what I love. I love to sit in a truck with another man for 12 hours going out hunting, and we say one word to each other. That's what I love. That's what I love. And you don't know how to do it. I'm going to give you three questions, just super practical here that I have asked men in my small groups for years, just other friends, that always take the conversation much deeper. I'm just going to give them to you real quick. The first question is this, are you loving your life? If you ask another man, hey, are you like loving your life right now? You will, you will open up some doors. Uh, what I've found is that as men begin to age and get older, men experience, generally speaking, less joy in their lives. And honestly, this is something when I was a young man that I feared about having a family, about, you know, having a full-time job, about having responsibilities was I looked at some of the older men in my life and I'm like, I don't think they have any fun. I don't think they have joy in their life. So if you ask a man, hey, where's the joy in your life? right? Are you enjoying your life um, right now? Are you loving your life? You're going to get into some deep conversation. Uh, The next question, if they're married, would be this. Are you loving your wife right now? What does it look like to love your wife right now? Uh, do you enjoy your, your wife? Are you enjoying her right now? Uh, <laughs> you might get more than you bargained for, but you're going to go a little bit deeper than, you know, what grade of gas are we buying at the gas station, right? Here's another one, and this is more about lust and struggling with how, um, you know, we manage our thoughts and our minds and our eyes is, how's your eyes? It's a very simple question that a guy will know, you know, what you're talking about when you say, like, hey, how's your eyes right now? Like, are you managing your thoughts, you know, how, are, you, are you struggling with lust right now? Are you struggling with pornography right now? What does that look like? How's your eyes? And I promise you, you'll take the conversation deeper with any of these questions. And I get that some of you are like, I don't want to go there. But you got to go there if you want to have deep, deep friendships. It goes on in, in uh, Mark 6, 7, it says, And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So he gathered, the, gathered these 12 guys together. Remember, 13 and 20-year-olds. He's like, guys, I have a vision for you. I, I, I have a, a plan for you. I have a calling for you. But I'm not just going to call you and then set you loose. I'm going to give you the authority to do what I am calling you to do, which I love. Second thing is this. Men are meant to operate in godly authority. And that word godly is so important to connect to authority because um, authority, can we agree, is kind of a bad word in our society. Like we're like, ah, I don't like authority. Like get me out from underneath authority. But the truth is this, I don't think that we hate authority. I think we hate bad authority or abusive authority, right? That's what we really hate. There's actually, I think, a, a joy in, in, in submitting to good authority and godly authority. So men are meant to operate in a godly authority. And yet today, here's the problem. Men, generally speaking, feel very powerless and, and feel very much like, I don't know where my authority comes from. In Matthew 28, Jesus says this. He says, all authority on heaven and earth have been given to me. He says, therefore, go, church, and make disciples. In other words, I'm giving you all my authority to go do what I'm calling you to do. So this is, it wasn't just for those disciples. This is for you, every man and woman in the room. God has given you all authority from heaven. He says, you're going to do greater things than I even did in your midst. It's going to be awesome because you have my authority within you. And, and here's why this is so important. 
is because if you don't understand where your authority comes from, you will end up abusing and wounding yourself and other people trying to gain unhealthy authority on your own. And I see this all the time. There's a drive for for power. And this is the difference between this culture that we live in and the kingdom culture God is calling us into is that worldly authority authority is all about power. It's all about coercion and, and control, whereas godly authority is about service. So as a man, if you're like, I want to be an authority, awesome. You just ask to serve. You just ask to, 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 to do what Jesus did. When Jesus showed up with all authority from heaven, what did he do? Washed feet, healed the sick, taught, cared for the men and women in his life, and then walked himself up on a cross and died for the sins of the world. So when you want godly authority, that's the invitation to every man in the room. And you're like, I don't know if that sounds so good. Well, that's a life of purpose, man. It's literally what you were built to do. You don't operate the way that God designed you to operate till you begin to operate in this godly authority. So here's a test for you. In your life, when you walk into a room as a man, whether it's your home or your kid's room or a friend's house or the office, when you walk in, here's the question. Do people hold their breath or do they take a breath? Think about that. When I walk in, do people go, <gasps> like, oh, what's he going to say? Everybody watch out. Does everybody kind of clench up and go, what's going to happen? Or when you walk in, do they go, <sighs> help us here. Vision is here. Somebody's here to bring this together. And that's a question of whether you are operating in a worldly authority or a godly authority. And so for us, God is calling us to live in a godly authority, which is all about serving those around us. Mark 6, 8 says, He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts. The third thing is this, is that men are meant to live open-handed with their possessions. So these men, remember, they had jobs. They had a plan for their lives. They were doing the thing. And yet Jesus says, hey, drop your nets and follow me. Leave the security of your career and follow me. And he says, when you follow me, don't follow me with a backup plan. In case Jesus doesn't work out, I always want to make sure that I got a little something over here, right? Jesus is like, I know about your something over here. And uh, that's not what it means to walk in faith. I want you to leave all of those things, come and follow me with no backup plan, and trust that I will provide for you all along the way. And I just can't help but think of like the life of Israel as they wandered and God gave them manna from the sky, right? Water from a rock. Like God just wants his people to trust him. And he can see when we don't trust him because we always have a backup plan. And so men are meant to live open-handed with what we have. And yet this is so difficult in our society. Now I do want to say this. um, As I read this text, it's important that we ask the question, is this a descriptive or prescriptive text? Because it is a descriptive text. God was calling them to live with nothing. Does that mean all of you men in the room, if you're going to be faithful, you have to sell everything and then have nothing? No, absolutely not. This is not a prescriptive text. It's a descriptive text, but it's teaching us a principle. And that's, that principle, in my mind, is that sometimes we think that we're being financially responsible, but actually we're being disobedient to Jesus. And if you're going to be obedient to Jesus, it's going to look financially irresponsible sometimes. 
I just remember when we moved up to Alaska and our family came up the Alcan and we had these job opportunities in the lower 48. And uh, honestly, financially, they were better decisions. And we were like, man, we feel called to Alaska. So we came up here, moved to Alaska, and just have watched God provide in beautiful different ways and do incredible things as we've lived out our calling. But I'll tell you what, like there are people in our lives who were like, that's a financially dumb move. And it, and it was. It, was a finan- it looked financially dumb, but when it comes to, to following Jesus, it was absolutely the right thing to do because we were being obedient. And so I just, I just want to tell you that you're going to, have to, you're going to have to deal with that tension that, that you might be saying, but I'm just being responsible. And Jesus is like, no, you're actually being disobedient because I'm calling you to trust me with everything that you have. He says, take nothing with you. And I'll be honest, like, I was struggling with this this week. This is the beauty of sermons, is that when you write them, you have to deal with them all week long. And so I was feeling super convicted of this this week, like, oh, why do we have that? Let's sell that. Oh, let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of that. I'm just like, like, let's sell all the things, you know. Man is like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, oh, I'm preaching a sermon about getting rid of our stuff. So, but I just, I was thinking, man, like, if God today were to, were to call our family, if you're to speak just super clearly, like, hey, I want you guys to uproot and move to Cusco, Peru, where you're where your compassion children are sponsored. I want you to spend a year working there. My response to God would be, give me nine months and maybe then I'll be ready. I got to sell this and do this and move this and take care of all that. And, and I just, I was wrestling with that reality that like, we're all asking for a call from God. We all want a life of purpose, but we're so bogged down with what we have that to be honest, even if he made it clear, we wouldn't follow him anyway. And so are we living financially free? We've got uh, Joe Sangle coming up here in a couple months who walks us as a church through how to get financially free. Why? So that we can be more faithful to the call that God has on our lives. And so this is the invitation is that we as men would be open with what we have. I think another issue that we have with this is that as men, we don't have a vision for our jobs. I think this is why so many men hate what they do is because here's the vision. Here's the vision for most men with their jobs. My goal is to work really hard so that one day I won't have to. That's the big vision. Work my butt off till one day I can retire. Like it's no wonder that you hate your workplace, that you hate the people that you work with, if that's you, because you need a greater vision. Now understand that your job is your platform that God has given you to fulfill your kingdom calling today. I don't care if you're flipping burgers or leading a team of 150 people or 1,000 people. Like, it doesn't matter. God has given you a job to fulfill your calling of building the kingdom in this moment. That's why you have it. And maybe you're in the next stage of life and you are retired, right? Can I just tell you this? Um, In the kingdom of God, when, when men are following Jesus, you don't retire from your calling. You only retire to a new calling. So older men in the church here today, I want to tell you, we need you. We need you to mentor. We need you to speak the truth. We need you to help give us wisdom and encouragement. We need you. You don't retire from your calling. Find me the Bible verse that says, when you hit 65, you get to stop following Jesus. When you hit, as long as the government says you've retired and you start getting a little bit of money from the government, then you can quit following Jesus. This is a brutal lie from the pit of hell because, because that's, You've experienced so much that we need. How much is the church hurting because 65-year-old plus men are going, I think I'm just supposed to go disappear into the woods somewhere. When God's like, I want, you, I want to use you to build a church till you breathe your last breath. 
Verse, verse 11 says this, And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Some context for this, um, rabbis who left a city of Gentiles in this culture would literally, physically shake the dust off their sandals to represent that they were leaving the culture behind them. And that although they had shared what is true, they didn't hold responsibility for the response. Does that make sense? So they shake the dust off going like, we did what we're called to do, but in the end, we're only responsible to do what God asked us to do. So the fourth thing is this, men are meant to live or to be responsible to their calling. You're meant to be, this is what you're meant to, is to live responsibly toward the calling that God has for your life. And to do that, what I think you have to do is to shake the dust off. Because you're not going to live responsible to the calling God has on your life if you're always worried about what other people think. If you're always worried about the image that you're portraying to people around you, you will not be able to always please God and please men at the same time. And when it comes between the two, I plead with you, please God. Choose what God is asking you to do. Follow him faithfully. Because people will look down. You've got to shake the dust off. Maybe for you, shaking the dust off your feet is something that you did 20 years ago. Some of the men in this room, God has a high call for your life. And the shame that is on you is so significant that you have rejected God's call for you. You're like, I'd love to help share the gospel or help teach a class or lead a small group. But I just, ah, man, I've got this thing that I did. And I believe God's saying, shake the dust off your feet. Be faithful to your calling. Some of you men need to shake the dust off of something your dad said to you 20 years ago or 50 years ago. There are grown men who are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s. They're still trying to impress and get the admiration of their fathers because they never got it. When, when their heavenly father is saying, I love you, you're my son. You have everything that you need. Shake the dust off your feet. I don't know what this looks like for you, but we got to shake the dust off of our feet and ask ourselves whose opinion matters most in our lives. Who are we trying to impress? Men in the room, you are not responsible for what anybody in this room says about you. You're responsible for what God says about you. That's your final responsibility. And as these men walked out their calling, here's what happened. Verse 13, it says, And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Think about that. 13 to 20-year-olds. Walking around, anointing sick people with oil and watching them get miraculously healed. I'm just saying, Holy Spirit, more of that in our church. Not just through the 13 through 20-year-olds, but through all people, especially the men in this room. Men, don't relegate God's call on your life to anyone else, including your wife or your kids or your pastor. He has something for you. And God used these men to do incredible things in these people's lives. And if you're here and you're like, I don't know my calling, Brian. You seem to have a calling. You're up there preaching. I don't know my calling. Listen, you don't have to make it up. John 15, Jesus gives it to us. He says, this is my commandment. Here's your calling, men. You ready? Men, you ready in the room? Say yes. Okay. This is your calling, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. There you go. That's it. You're called to love with a ferocious love like Christ loved you first. There's no greater love 
than that a man would lay down his life for his friends, for his family, for his church, for his community. There's just no greater love. That you sacrifice yourself for others, and we see this once again beautifully modeled in the life of Jesus. As he shows up with all authority and kingship and stoops down into the world and becomes nothing, as Philippians says. Became nothing so that he could serve us. And this is what it means to be a man. I'm convinced that if this is what society saw manhood as, they would change their view of what it means to be a man. And all of a sudden, people would start to see, like, it's actually good to call out men for a higher purpose. That it's actually good in 2023 to be a man. It's not just a toxic thing to be a man. It's a high calling to be a man because men of ACF Church, we are serving and loving in the name of Jesus. Imagine, like, if we're just wrung out at the end of the day because we're just loving people so well. Do you know, like, that's what you're meant to do. We, this is the problem. So many men think, like, I just, I don't want to feel tired. Listen, you're meant to feel tired, men. You're meant, I think part of the problem with men in our society is that we're going to bed with too much energy, right? We got all this bent up energy. Like, you're not functioning in your calling by playing Call of Duty and just going out and, and, and sitting in the sun. Like, you're functioning in your calling when you are changing diapers at 3 a.m. to the glory of God, Right? And you're tired and you're worn out. You're functioning and you're calling when you're working hard to build a life for your family and to, to fund the mission of God in the church. You're fulfilling your calling when you show up to, to, your, to the lives of your friends and they're meeting together and they just need you to, to encourage them and to not make it about you, to make it about them. And you give up what you need so that you can make it all about the needs of others. You're functioning and you're calling when you're wrung out for the kingdom of God. And I, man, I, I think the world needs to see that. Like, it's okay to be tired because it's in that being tired that you're probably fulfilling your calling as you align your energy towards the things that God has for you. I believe, men, that where the culture wants to cut you down, God wants to call you out. I believe there's a higher calling for your life, every single man in the room here today. And I want to give you a few ways to step forward. If you want to grab the action card on your seat, there was a little piece of paper. You might be sitting on it or put it next to you, but this is just a thing that we do every single week. I want to encourage you, pick one of these boxes, and we're just going to give you one text this week to encourage you and to pray for you. That's all we're going to do. It's just a way for us to kind of make this real every single week. But maybe today you just would say, I need to receive Jesus. I need to begin that relationship because that's, listen, you can't do what we're calling, what Jesus is calling you to do without a relationship with him. And so maybe you just need to start that. Maybe you're committing to build some deep friendships this week and you're like, all right, I'm going to ask the questions. It's going to make it weird in my F-350. That's fine. Make it weird. It's okay. You're going to have deep friendships. It's going to be worth it. Trust me. Maybe you're here and you're saying, I'm going to open my hands. Brian, I've been living very close-handed with my stuff, my things. And honestly, I, I've just been saying I'm being you know, fiscally responsible, but actually I'm being unfaithful. And if, if God's convicting you of that, open your hands today. And maybe this is you, you're saying, I'm going to pursue a higher calling. I know that God's calling me into something greater and I'm ready for that. I don't know what it is. I don't know the details. I know it, I know it involves love, service, and sacrifice, as we just read. And so I'm ready for that. I just trust that as you ask God for that, he's going to make it really clear to you. So as we close, I want to ask you to do something uncomfortable in church today. I know you're excited about that. Uh, but I would love if I could just pray for the men in this room. But I would love every man, every man in the room, would you just stand up? Would you stand to your feet so I can pray for you? I encourage you to do that.
And uh, as these men stand, uh, if you're in this room, if you're a son or a daughter, or you don't even know the person, that's fine. I want you to just lay hands on these men. So you can stand up, you can move around. I want you to just put some hands on the men in this room and just lay hands on them and pray for them. You pray for each other, men. But I just want to I want to really commission you as men, us together, to fulfill this calling that God has on our lives. So would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you so much for the men in this room. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, would you fill up the men in this space? God, we are powerless to do the things that you call us to do. I can't even imagine some of the things that these young disciples went through. And Father, I'm convicted and I feel called out by their story. And I think, what would it take for me to be willing to die for the gospel? And what I know is that it would take a power of your spirit working in me in a way that would be supernatural. And God, beyond that, it's not just dying for the gospel. For some of these men, it's, it's what would it take for them to be faithful to their wives? It's what would it take for them to, to love that wayward child? It's what would it take for them to serve faithfully in their job and not to be a source of negativity, but to be... A, a leader and an encourager. God, it would take a supernatural empowerment of your spirit. So we pray, Holy Spirit, come in this space. Fill these men, we pray. And God, I pray that today would be the beginning of something new. God, I pray for the man today who's just so overcome by shame that they would shake that dust off their feet as a lie from the devil. God, I pray for the man who has been so broken down by people who should have loved them and actually just discouraged and demeaned them, God, that they could let go of those words and take hold of of your words, God, that they are a son and they are called to a high calling today. God, I pray for the man here today who's addicted, who's struggling with letting something go, God, that you would help them to find freedom from that addiction, that it would begin by simply sharing, being open and not trying to play the strong man, God, but they show their strength through their openness and authenticity. God, we love you. We know we can't do this alone. God, we pray you would send us out as an army to build your kingdom in this place. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys.